Next on BYU Sports Nation, Super Bowl champion, BYU alumnus, and one of the great respected NFL coaches, Brian Billick, hanging with us in Studio B. My eyes are still burning from the reflection off his amazing Super Bowl bling. BYU golfer Rhett Rasmussen has some new bling of his own. The freshman phenom joins us. Plus, BYU softball's Caitlin Larson-Aldridge, fresh off a two-home run game. Game day for the Batcats and tickling the ivory at the BYU Basketball Banquet. Let's go! This is BYU Sports Nation. Brought to you by the BYU Store. Simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. Yep, we're live. BYU Sports Nation is your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B. Presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Happy Thursday, April 13th, wherever and however you're dialed in. It's great to have you with us. My name is Spencer Linton. I am teamed up with entry-level piano instructor Jerem Jordan. Last night at the BYU Basketball Banquet, Davin Gwynn and Peyton Dastrup played the piano. Mm -hmm. Davin Gwynn played, I don't know what the name of the song is, from La La Land, but like the song from Ryan Gosling. So dreamy, you know what I mean? Peyton Dastrup played... A song from Green Day, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Oh, that's amazing. It was so awesome. He had it memorized when he was 11. I would have loved to hear it, Jerem, but I was shunned from the banquet. Why were you shunned? I don't know. I think because I called T.J. Haas the lost Weasley brother. You didn't get an invite for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Also, I have a blue tongue. I legitimately hope I haven't offended anybody in the BYU basketball I didn't realize. Well, I didn't see you there, and I was like, oh, that's weird. Um I saw some, yeah, I saw some people that potentially could be more offensive. So, yeah, you come on, man. Okay, it, no. Hey, well, maybe you, they, you're may- more defensive than offensive. Maybe the Weasley brother thing really did bother some. People. I don't think it was the Weasley brother thing. I was think it was the Baltimore brother. Yeah. Why did I get pinned with that one, man? You, you didn't. You just brought it up like oh, me did this. Hey, all good. Don't be so selfish. Don't take me out of this. <laughs> See what I did there? Yesterday, we also hung out with a Super Bowl champion coach, yeah, was cool. which was awesome. Brian Billick in BYU Studios, the Air Force transfer. Did you know that? I didn't know that until yesterday. And BYU tight end. Apparently, he was too big to be a pilot. Not a joke. Uh, who? I have that question. Who shows up at the Air Force is like, wait, what? I didn't know this. Like, Taysom Hill transfers to BYU because he's like, oh, I can't come in in January. Like, how do you not know that before? <laughs> well, he's listed at six feet, one hundred and eighty pounds on the BYU six five. alumni well, football fan base. We, yeah, he talked to the football team yesterday. We we recorded an interview with him. That is coming up. It was one of the uh, funner conversations we've had here. I learned a lot about young Lavelle Edwards in that. Pretty cool stuff. Two thousand one Super Bowl champion coach of the Baltimore Ravens coached one of, if not the best, defense in NFL history. Yeah, that Ravens squad. One or two eighty five Bears. And the 2000 and the Ravens. Baltimore Ravens. Man. Unbelievable. That offense was so bad. The Super Bowl ring is legit. <laughs> My eyes are burning with awesomeness. Bring on the headlines. It's your BYU Sports Nation headlines. Game day for BYU baseball. They host Pepperdine. Pepperdine at Miller Park tonight, 8 Eastern. The Cougars lead the West Coast Conference at 7 and 2. Watch and listen to the game on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Yesterday on the show, Mike Littlewood, hanging out with us, told us the key to beating the waves. Starting pitching is, is the key. Um, that's, that's what's going to carry us because I feel like we're always going to put runs up, knock on wood. Um, I feel like we're always going to be competitive at the plate and, and we'll play good defense. So it's all about pitching. 
It is all about pitching. Baseball is about pitching, right? Like, yeah, so big series with the Bad Cats. Watch my homie Spencer Linton, my homie Gary Scheide, and my homie, whose braces are coming off in a month, Jason Shepard, tonight. And Brian Billick caught passes from Gary Scheide at BYU yeah! and compared him to... Boom! Joe Namath. Broadway Joe. That's exactly right. Cougars in the minors update. Brendan Lund had a hit, run, and stolen base for the Angels' single-A affiliate. The Burlington Bees in a 9-1 win against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. What is a Timber Rattler? I'm not from Wisconsin, so I don't know. Like, is that a snake in a tree? There's too many snakes in this tree. (laughs) Said Samuel Jackson. <laughs> Cougars in the PGA. Daniel Summerhays and Zach Blair hanging out in South Carolina for the RBC Heritage Classic. They are teeing off as we speak. The South will rise again. Not. And former BYU tight ends, Baltimore Ravens, and Super Bowl champions, as mentioned, Brian Billick and Dennis Pitta were honored at the Utah National Football Foundation banquet last night. Our interview with Coach Billick on what Lavelle Edwards and BYU meant to him coming up in about 10 minutes. Rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Ahern Rentals. Your next job is our priority. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Burning the midnight oil. You've all heard the saying, early to bed, early to rise. Makes a person healthy, wealthy, and wise. Of course, unless you're a BYU football fan recently, I have a new version (laughs) of that poem for BYU football fans. It goes like this. Late to bed, late to rise. Makes a BYU fan groggy, less active, and unwise. (laughs) Unless... Well, early to rise because people have 9 a.m. church. BYU wins. Then all is well. Then getting up for early church isn't as bad. Now, a late night game that ends with good news for BYU... Of course, we can all handle that. But if it's a loss, DEFCON 5 on Sunday morning. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> it's tough, right? Some of those late kicks are tough. You're, like, you're telling everybody, especially the East Coasters. BYU, you may have noticed, plays on national television a lot. And mm-hmm. a the lot of those of games, yeah, a lot of those games are late kickoffs. There's a reason for that. Because the Cougars draw eyes. They're a unique national brand, and they're willing to fill up that late slot that ESPN provides. We like the exposure. ESPN offers fantastic exposure. And the hope is to have a minimum number of games on ESPN. You, right? You're hoping to be on ESPN or ESPN2 because the eyeballs on ESPNU are significantly different than ESPN and ESPN. ESPN has a great business model. But happy to be on any ESPN, right? They want people to watch all day, and if they can drag viewers to that late block with BYU, why wouldn't they do it? It Drags means more advertising, and it means more money for the network. Still, those late start times are rough, and that takes us to today's Twitter question. What is your optimal start time for a BYU football game? Use the hashtag BYUSN. Uh, and BYU TV will figure out the start time of uh, if BYU has the Portland State game. So hmm, we'll just pocket this and uh, maybe ignore it. Come we'll on, 1 p.m. Mountain Time. <laughs> Hashtag BYUSN. At Naleto. It's not in the afternoons anymore. <laughs> I heard that guy passed away. Yes. So we will honor his legacy. He did. By quoting it's not him. in the afternoon anymore. Yeah, classic line, right? Yeah, um, yeah the, this is interesting to me because there have been so many of these Eight fifteen kicks. Now let me let you in on a little secret. It's not gonna be a secret once I tell you. That actually means eight twenty one. And then there's a slide of five minutes. So it's eight twenty six potentially, depending on the game before. So eight fifteen is a lie. That's just when they show up. <laughs> eight on TV. Eight twenty six is when You liars. Kick. Yeah. So those those are tough, right? 
However, I know that BYU fans are going to watch no matter what. BYU fans will watch no matter what. So does the kick time matter all that much? I'm, I, I'm not sure. Is it ideal? No. Why bring this up on April 13th, right? CBS Sports is the reason we're doing this. They put out an article yesterday that said the following, and I quote, The American Football Coaches Association will begin to ask the NCAA to consider a process adjusting game times that better benefit athletes, and they'll do so this week. (laughs) That's hilarious. Time demands on players have become a top NCAA priority. Coaches and administrators have increasingly complained about teams getting back from road trips in the middle of the night or early morning after night games. A private jet. Oh, super rough. Chartered planes. AFCA executive director (laughs) Todd Berry told CBS Sports, and I quote him now, we feel like there are times when you're traveling cross country or on a long bus ride. If someone is not getting back until four in the morning because of a start time, is this really fair to the student athlete? Question mark. End quote. No, there's a lot that's unfair positively in their way. Listen, student athletes and coaches, they're not going to get to say. They do not get to say in how the revenue maker runs itself. That's not how this works. TV drives the business. This ain't happening. This ain't happening, okay? TV drives the business. Where's the money? BYU wanted to get into the Big 12 for competition, for TV money was the biggest benefactor. Is, right? And always will be. That's where the money is, right? So they dictate when the times are because guess what? The greatest reality TV show is sports. You can't predict it. Why would you? When would you like to play? Oh, okay. (laughs) We're just going to play when we want to play. And BYU generally plays late games, which brings us to the stat of the Mm. day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Six of BYU's 12 regular season games last year kicked off at 10 p.m. or later Eastern Time. Shout out hey. to the East Coast BYU fans. What yeah. up? 50% of the country lives in Eastern Time Zone, by the way. That's why we do Eastern Time Zone for a national More than network. 50%. I think it's 56%. Yeah. More than 50%. This just in, right? So, yeah. this And already of the announced games for BYU for 2017, Boise State, 10-15 Eastern, UNLV, 10-30 Eastern, and Hawaii, 10 Eastern, which is... Uh, who know, What is that, 4 o'clock in Hawaii or something? Yeah, that's actually a 4 p.m. local time in Hawaii. Time. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's second half. So what's your ideal time, your optimal time? My optimal time to watch BYU football, probably 8 Eastern. But how often does that happen when they play on Fox Sports National? Because I, I think they had one game that started at, at 8 Utah. Eastern. It was at Utah. And that's only going to happen if BYU plays a Pac-12 or Big 12 team. And a big time opponent. It's a it's a showcase game, right? Yeah, I yeah I I think early afternoon. So any time from two Eastern to eight Eastern, any any time in that range doesn't matter. For me, it's a different impact because I produce the pre and post game show. I actually prefer the late game you because then it. I spend more time yeah. at home with my yeah. family because I'm here like six hours before or whatever. But that's but that's I'm not a fan just watching the game, right? And you're on the road a lot with the team. So this impacts you, yeah, similarly. And, I, and I'm with you. This is not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Like, they can complain all they want, but this is, this is going to take some serious litigation for any change to happen. If you want the games on that network, you have to do what they want. Yeah, well, on August 26th, I'm just hoping for a come on 3 p.m. kick time on BYU TV. Hit it. 
countdown to the Viking. 135. You can't beat it. It's the old music. You it's, can't beat it. It's the best. The new graphic package is awesome. Yeah, baby. But the <laughs> the old music is is where we go. Yes, it is. It's just it's tough to beat. We're not in the after- <laughs> Send in your preferred kick times using the hashtag BYUSN. Coming up, Utah Golf Association Player of the Year. Rhett Rasmussen will join us in the studio. Be at first a man who's rocking a Super Bowl ring. Brian Billick next. What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation is brought to you by Ahern Rental. Your next job is our priority. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back, BYU Sports Nation simulcast on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Conversation rolling right now on Twitter. Follow at BYU Sports Nation. And use the hashtag BYUSN. Hey, baseball plays Pepperdine tonight. Game one of a three-game series. The Cougars are in first place in the West Coast Conference right now. BYU and Pepperdine tonight, 8 Eastern on BYU TV, the app, BYU Radio, and the app as well. It's, getting, it's a big-time series. Tune in tonight. A couple of corrections thanks to our Twitter friends across BYU Sports Nation. First of all, at Rig Matt. At Rig Matthew says, DEFCON 1 is nuclear war. <laughs> DEFCON 5 is normal. Easy to get mixed up. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks also, for the uh, heads up. at Lyle Stavist says, 47% of the United States population is in the Eastern time zone as of the 20th. Oh, it's less than census. 50? Okay. Less than 50. Okay, we'll do Mountain Time now. So there you go. No, I'm just kidding. I love Twitter so much. <laughs> what is your optimal start time for a BYU football game and why? At Toshlin 19 says, 1 p.m., Situated nicely between lunch and dinner, the weather is most likely to be sunny slash non-freezing, and I'm fully awake. Hey, that helps too, man. Yeah. I Listen, BYU football is can't miss fodder for a lot of fans, and so I'm not even sure that it matters. Like, it's not ideal on the East Coast, but like the diehards, the blue-goggled fans, they're going to they're gonna watch whenever. They're going to watch whenever. And that's why we love you. 47% in the Eastern time zone. Thank you, Lyle. Shout out to the East, Co- East Coast bias. We interview a lot of cool people on this show, and yesterday we interviewed a guy that has done a lot of good for football. He's won a Super Bowl, coached one of the best defenses in the history of the NFL, and oh, by the way, he's a BYU alumnus. But for some reason, he's listed as 6 feet, 180 pounds, which might be the most Travis Shamakery thing that has ever been put on the BYU football database. An amazing word. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Billick in Studio B. Enjoy. Coach, it's great to have you. I believe you are listed on your BYU profile at 6 feet 180 pounds. Uh, that was in 1974. That sounds about right. Still true today, right? Yeah, yeah. When, when I was in the fifth grade, maybe. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> when I was here, I think, what did I top out at? I was, of course, 6'5". I think my maximum playing weight was, I was too skinny. I needed to get weight on. I was about 230, 235. Of course, we were throwing the ball all the time, so that's yeah. fine. I didn't need to block anybody, just catch balls down the field. It's, it's sort of, yeah, in a lot of the offenses nowadays, you could be flexed out and do that, but you got to put a hand in the ground nowadays, right? Yeah, you know what? Well, that's the thing. It's all become so specialized. You know, it started with the Joe Gibbs where you had a point of attack guy and then you had the move guy, and now the tight end position has evolved such that, that yeah, you better be one of those guys to be able in line and outside. If you're going to be a top guy, and everybody needs one, just like the advent of the safeties. You used to be, nah, you don't take safeties and tight ends in the first round. Now you, you better go get one if there's available because that's where the, the great ones come from. You made the transition from the Air Force Academy 
over to BYU in the mid-70s to play for Lavelle Edwards and his crazy passing attack. What did he say to you to convince you that BYU was going to be the right place for you? Well, I was I, I was a safety-slash-outside linebacker. Really hadn't played tight in, in high school. I was a quarterback offensively, and then um, – and then I went to the academy, and they, I played them in their, what they called their rover position. And then when I transferred to BYU, I don't know that they really thought what I would do. They were transitioning into this passing offense. I had the height and the size. Say, so, oh, you could be a good tight end. Sure, I'm in. Uh, and kind of figured that's where I'd be heading anyway. And, and I had a red shirt because I was transferring. So kind of was a little bit of everything. I played prep team tight end and – Outside linebacker and tackle and whatever. Yeah, Billy, get in there, you know, because you're cannon fodder basically for the, <laughs> for the, uh, for the defense at that point. Um, and, and got to really, without being a part of it, get to watch the evolution, how this was kind of getting pieced together, first getting pieced together. Uh, and then when I had my opportunity to actually step in, it had kind of solidified itself and the role for the tight end, and they were at the forefront of actually using tight ends in that capacity in the passing game, so it was kind of fun. What was young... Gary Shidey like because we still hang out with Gary the gunslinging Joe Namath Gary, look like Gary was the dude man he was <laughs> he was Joe Namath reincarnated and the slump shoulders and the way he carried himself and that that every time you know you could see you'd watch Gary and he'd get in and and uh, he'd look over and a run would come in and he'd kind of like are you kidding me he'd kind of <laughs> he'd, he'd kind of be like that pitcher sitting on the mound going yeah. no. no 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 Bruce, take let's, off the call let's do something now he loved to throw the ball. And uh, and loved you know, he was he was Joe Namath and the shoes and the way he backpedaled and the way he let go of the ball great great player number twelve as well absolutely he was and he still got the slumped shoulders he's, he's oh, still yeah. got yeah. the slumped shoulders. that easy demeanor and yeah <laughs> he got the fishing shoulders too now yeah that seventy six team by the way I was I was looking at the names on that right you're on that of course all whack first team that year Gifford Nielsen Jeff Blank Todd Christensen that was Pr- quite pretty the, good that was quite the team yeah. Yeah, and, and Todd Christian wasn't even playing tight end. Todd was, was the tight end, or was the fullback. fullback. Mm-hmm. And actually, I ended up with Todd in Dallas together. Uh, he was at the tail end of, of, okay, kept saying, no, maybe you ought to be tight end. Goes, no, no, I'm not. Yeah, 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 no, I'm not. Okay, you're gone. And finally ends up in New York where they go, you want to play tight end now? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but just a tremendous athlete. And obviously what he went on and did, particularly with the Oakland Raiders. But, yeah, there was a lot of talent there. And it evolved around the fact that the total commitment, which it had to be because of what we were doing, to throw in the ball. Um, you had some great Jeff Blank, uh, you know, obviously in terms of what he was able to do both in and out of the backfield. And So I didn't realize this. Todd Christensen doesn't play tight end in, at BYU because – because Brian Billy Brian Billick's right. tight end. And that's you, right. I never right. realized this. this day. You roomed together, too. Yeah, I, I told that story earlier where Lavelle called me in, and I thought, oh, God, I've done something wrong. And, he's, and he sits there, Brian, he goes on and on about, you know, we, you've been great, and you're a team leader, and we really, okay, great. So what do you need? You're the only player on the team I can ask to do this. Can you room with Todd Christensen? Have <laughs> a thesaurus. You are the only one. That can handle the rev. That's what we used to call it. The rev? The rev, yeah. And, and I said, I'm up for it, man. Let's go. And we'd go back and forth, tooth and nail. And Todd was a good man. Yeah. Well, and you started the trend of great tight ends at BYU, right? I Brian think so. I, I think uh, no, was nothing came before. I'll take that, man, that, that, that mantle. Sure. Yeah, let's go through the list so we include everybody, right? Okay, so no, let's Brian not Billick. Go no, no, no. List. You'll leave somebody out. Gordon Hudson. I did not. Clay I'm not Brown. In this. I want to make this clear. <laughs> I got to get my names out there, with, right? With the cast Chris of Smith, have all day. Chad Lewis, Atula Mealy, Doug Jolly. Dude. We don't I have know. time for this. Hey, I just want to give people Johnny the Hurley, credit that they deserve. Dennis okay. Hurley. Well, I'm not Dennis. You're right. 
You caught two uh, passes from two great BYU quarterbacks, Gifford Nielsen and uh, Gary Scheide. What What do you remember uh, about playing football in the afternoon in Provo? Like, what What was that like in the seventies and the crowds and and the fanfare and all that? You know, it was great because the thing I look back on, what was great is you had that sense that you were a part of something that was getting started. There wasn't a whole lot of success before that. Uh, I was on that first uh, 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 bowl team uh, that that, uh, obviously meant a lot to us, particularly with the style of what we were doing. And you got that sense that something's kind of going on here. You know, and the fact that we were on the forefront, and then I left, and obviously when they really got good, I don't know if there's an analogy there. Uh, but but you, you got, you know, like we talked about earlier, Lavelle made a bold move to say we've got to do something to compete differently than, than what we might normally do. And you could see the fruits of that. And all of a sudden it started to change. You could see the attitude change. And you could get, remember I came back and Jan got involved with the recruiting. And you could see there was a real sea change in the terms of the players we could recruit and the way players looked at BYU. When I first got here, in that initial recruiting class, there were actually more non-LDS than LDS athletes. Because BYU at the time really even then had a tough time getting the, the really great LDS athletes to come to Provo. Uh, and you could see that begin to change. And now, yeah, you, 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 were, you could go into Ann Arbor and go to a good young LDS player that might not go to Michigan or Michigan State. You could go into Columbus and beat Ohio State. You could beat that local team because they were willing to now because of what had gone on at BYU. And, and, and uh, I look at that with a lot of pride having been a part of that, the early years of that. Yeah, it was a special time for sure, and you kind of see what, what happened from that. 1978, you're a grad assistant here, and that is an interesting year at quarterback where Mark Wilson and Jim McMahon split time. What was it like on the coaching staff as you tried to figure that out with that group? Well, and, and it, it's a tough decision. Two different styles. Jim, actually, I coached Jim later on. We signed him with the Minnesota Vikings, which was a, a unique experience in and of itself, uh, <laughs> coaching Jim at that time. And, and I'm just on the periphery because I'm there as a GM working with the, the, uh, the JV offensive line, um, and we're there primarily to service the, the, the offense. And we have, you have uh, uh, some young players, including uh, uh, Steve Young, you know, who is just you know developing all of a sudden in terms of uh, uh, transitioning from an option quarterback and the things that he did, um, but and obviously very different personalities. That's the biggest thing that jumped out at me. And again, I'm I'm watching from kind of arm's length away because I wasn't you know necessarily involved with coaching the, the offense or defense on a varsity level, other than prompting the scout team. Um, and it was a battle because both had unique skills, different. Mark was so classic in what he did in terms of his ability to throw the ball, to process. Jim kind of just freelance things, but all of a sudden made things happen. The personality in the huddle, the way they dealt with the players off the field, you know, totally different. You could see the talent, and, and it's tough because, you know, the old adage, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. That wasn't the case. These are two very good quarterbacks, and the balancing act that they had to perform in order to, to utilize both so that you didn't frustrate them or the team, uh, yeah, unique situation. Brian Billick, Super Bowl champion coach of the Baltimore Ravens with us in Studio B. And one thing that I always admired about Lavelle Edwards specifically was the joy, the sincere joy he found in watching those that he coached and coached with succeed. And to see him just beam and light up when I'd bring up Mike Holmgren with the Packers or you with the Ravens, um, how 
how did that relationship uh, evolve over the years when, when you got into a high-profile situation and started to win some of these big games? Well, and I've said many times, I don't know it wasn't until I became a head coach that I could truly appreciate the impact Lavelle had on me as a player, as a man, as a father, as a leader, as a coach. Because it wasn't until I became a head coach and you have to make those decisions on a daily basis and do the things that you have to do as a head coach that I would think back and go on, oh, yeah, now I get it. Now I see what Lavelle was doing in terms of dealing with the personalities both on the field and, uh, and your coaching staff as well as your players, dealing with a myriad of things that you have to as a head coach. That's probably the – I always ask coaches who become first-time head coaches, what was the biggest surprise? And to a man, they typically will tell you, even though you prepare your entire life for the opportunity to become a head coach, you think you're prepared. And then you realize I had no clue of how many different things that have to be orchestrated and, and dealt with as a head coach until you become that head coach. And it was then that I realized and looked back and went, okay, now I see why Lavelle did what he did, whether it be the, the dual quarterback situation, dealing with the personalities. You, you look at the coordinators, offensive coordinators that flow through here. There's some personal, personalities <laughs> there now. Yes, there were. <laughs> and, and guys, that, and I don't mean this in a bad way because I was the same way as an assistant coach, Guys who very much want to platform their careers to get that chance to be a head coach, uh, you have to deal with all that. You have to embrace that. And, and I learned from Lavelle, like I did at Bill Walsh. Uh, I had eight of my guys go on and become head coaches, and I realized that that can be an asset, that if you prove yourself to be a place and a coach that will nurture that and help them do that, then you're going to get good people because good people will covet coming to that. And I think that's why Lavelle, once people saw that, yeah, this can be that stepping stone for me. You talked about how as a coach you're going going on, look, maybe I have four or five years before they run me out of here. Um, Lavelle had to know as he brought these guys in, it would have been very easy to kind of downplay that. So, you know, I'm not going to – I'm going to kind of keep you under – I don't want you to become a head coach. I don't want to have to go find me another offensive coordinator after two or three years. Um, I found that on the defensive side, as good as we were in in Baltimore, that – Every one of my coordinators became head coaches because we were so good defensively that it became that platform. So you realize, okay, yeah, I got to have guys in the pipeline. I have to have a constant plan of secession so I know who that next guy is going to be that you knew Lavelle had to develop here at BYU. You always had some good pros over the years. Recently, BYU is trying to get some more into the league. What do you think will it take? Uh, to, for BYU to get more draft picks, to get more guys like Daniel Sorensen, who maybe was undrafted but is sticking in the league, the Dennis Pittas of the world. Well, at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it basically comes down to talent. I mean, the talent pool that BYU is drawing from, they're able to tap into a certain number of players. Um, the style of play that they play, again, sometimes lends itself to, I think you go back to, I think that if you want to look at the success of Lavelle Edwards and the chain of quarterbacks that played for him. I think you can go back and look at a Steve Spur. You could look at Urban Meyer the same way. Not a lot of those guys have gone on and been successful in the NFL, which is not, I mean, that's fine. You're not here. That's not your job to develop NFL quarterbacks. Your job is to get productivity and develop college quarterbacks. It tells you that guys that at a certain talent level, you were able to platform their abilities at an elite league-setting record-setting level, that maybe at the end of the day, once they got into the NFL, you recognize that the talent level was only such. 
and then maybe it wasn't there to go beyond. So it makes you appreciate even more what they were able to do with that by wrapping a system around players that maybe at the end of the day, I'm not going to say they weren't good. I mean, you've got your Steve Youngs and, and, and obviously that have gone on and, and a Hall of Famer as a quarterback. But a lot of the quarterbacks from BYU weren't able to duplicate what they did in college in the NFL. And I think that speaks volumes to what they were able to do with them here. And again, could be, same thing could be said for Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer. I know BYU fans are anxiously wanting to draw from your well of knowledge, and that is, man, it's hard to, to not pay attention to the great defenses you coached and how, how BYU can implement that. Like if there were one thing that you would tell Kalani Satake to help get his defense to that high level, what would it be? Uh, make him punt. <laughs> <laughs> and get Ray Lewis. You know, I, I, I will tell you this. It is hard whether it's in the NFL or in the college, but particularly in the NFL, you see a lot of the top-ranked offense, offenses. Their defenses aren't ranked as, hard, as high. It's hard to have a top-ranked defense when your offense is producing at that level. Why? Because teams have to catch up more. They're going to spread it out. You're going to give up a lot of yards, maybe even scores at the end of the game because they can't win the game. Statistically, if that's how you choose to measure a defense, it's hard sometimes to duplicate that. That's what I alluded to earlier when you're going to commit to a certain offensive style of play, that buy-in has to be on the defensive side as well, knowing that, okay, we probably aren't going to have the statistics defensively that you'd like to have to highlight for a defensive coordinator or to draw to. So that makes it harder to recruit to as well. So it's, it's hard to be good at both. And if you're going to excel at one, that's the challenge for you. You have to understand and recognize this is the job. If we're going to commit to this style of play offensively, then we've got to recognize that there's certain vulnerabilities we're going to be put in defensively, and we can't get caught up with the defensive numbers that sometimes come with it uh, and recognize that this is part of the the collective that we're going to have to buy into. It's been great to have you with us. Uh, We have a tradition of all of our former BYU standouts signing our stretch wide flag. We would love your autograph on our stretch wide flag back there. Can we see the ring? Is that the two thousand? Yes, yes. That, that, yeah, there's, there's, uh, it's, they're gaudy. Yeah, that's the most gaudy thing uh, yeah, we've ever is. seen on this set, Brian. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> By it's, far. I'll tell you a good Super Bowl ring story. We got this one in 2000. Steve Bishotti, who was our minority owner and then became the head owner, uh, the number one, uh, the, the primary owner, he was saying, you know, now we get another Super Bowl, we're going to downplay it. We're going, to go, we're, going to, we're going to be classier. We're not going to go gaudy. I said, okay, that's cool. Well, and I end up leaving. They go on. They went in a Super Bowl, whatever it was, in, in New Orleans. I come back, and I see their Super Bowl ring. It's three times the size. <laughs> I'm going, Steve, what happened? I thought you were – he goes, going, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> so it's the way they're supposed to be. That is great stuff. I want you to know, by the way, I got news of that Super Bowl ch- championship for the Ravens when I was three weeks into the MTC, and I was depressed that I missed it. But, uh, yeah, I, my mom snuck me the Sports Illustrated Fabulous. article. Oh, <laughs> what a rebel. Fabulous. Good stuff. Uh, Coach, thanks for the time. Glad to do it. Thanks, Brad. Brian Billick, Super Bowl champion coach. Pretty cool, right? Two thousand Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, and you said to me earlier, like after right after the interview, like you learned a lot about Lavelle in his early years, which was fun, right? We know I, I mean, we know a lot about BYU football from like McMahon on and kind of Wilson it's a little murky, but into the Billick and Nielsen and Shidey years, it's not as well known, so I love talking to you. Yeah, and to hear him say Gary Shidey was the dude, man. Gary Shidey's still the dude. <laughs> Up next. I guarantee you this guy has a better golf swing than both Jeremy and I. Rhett Rasmussen in <laughs> Studio B. That is the most for sure thing ever. 
BYU Sports Nation is brought to you in part by BYU Dining Services, chef-driven, student-powered. A warm welcome back to all of you, our sports friends. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan in Radio Vision live on BYU Radio, simulcast on BYU TV. We're also on demand anytime, anywhere. We just aired the interview with Brian Billick, Super Bowl champion coach, BYU football alumnus in the mid-70s, talking about what Lavelle Edwards meant he's to him. He's not in his mid-70s. No. I want to make that clear. I think he's in his late 50s. I, I don't know. I, yeah, whatever. It was a good interview. You <laughs> should watch it. BYU TV, BYU Radio, download the apps or watch the pod, or listen to the podcast. Do it, yeah. Or wa- just watch it. Watch the whatever. Hey, Stanford is ranked ninth in the country, right? Uh, yes. In men's volleyball. They play third-ranked BYU Saturday night, 9 Eastern time on BYU TV and BYU Radio. And speaking of a guy who won something in Stanford. Yeah, who knows a thing or two about a- uh, bringing his A game to Stanford. Rhett Rasmussen. Rhett Rasmussen. This guy is so good. Freshman phenom of so BYU good. men's golf. Welcome to Studio B. Utah Golf Association Player of the Year among like 75 other things that you've won. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, it's uh, it's our pleasure. I, you have a better mustache than Eric Meek about that. I want to point that out right now. <laughs> Congratulations. Joke, when we announced that you won the uh, good win at Stanford, I jokingly just called you Rhett the Jet. Uh, do you have a nickname? You know, I don't really have a nickname, but you can call me whatever you I, want. I can call you that, okay? Yeah. Rhett the Jet? How do you not have a nickname yet? I mean, in, in golf, maybe you're less likely to have a nickname. You know, I've had some nicknames, but probably, you, you don't probably want to keep those. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of nicknames, some of your teammates uh, – Patrick Fishburne, namely, we, we hear that he is referred to as Ginger Quake or Pea Fish. Are those real things? Those are real. <laughs> okay. I can confirm real. that. Good. <laughs> His source close to the situation he confirms. <laughs> yes. Ginger Quake. What, what was it like to go to the good one? You shot a 64, I think, in round one. You win that tournament. Number one USC is at that tournament. What was that like for you? Um, you know, it's one of the biggest tournaments we play all year. So, you know, I was super excited. I wanted to, to bring my A game and finish well. You know, I never really thought about winning until the last round, but mm. it's crazy to bring it home. What was that final round like for you with pressure and emotions? And what? Um, it was definitely a lot harder than the 64 shot, you know, because when you're right there with the lead, you're always, you know, you're always thinking about it. You're trying not to look at the scoreboard, but you know, it's just constant. You're feeling constant nerves down the stretch, but it's definitely difficult. What's the best round you've ever played? I mean, was was the 64 it, or have you shot a lower score? Definitely, definitely one of them, but I shot a 62 at Sun River last year that probably tops it. A 62? <laughs> is that Sun River, Oregon? No, Sun River and St. George. Oh, and St. George. Okay, yeah, yeah. That That's amazing. Um, you're a freshman, mm-hmm. so, so how old are you? Are you 18? 18. You're 18 years yeah. old and you shot a 64. <laughs> what's what's kind of, what are the goals for you here with, with BYU and with, with uh, golf and life and everything? Um, obviously, you know, get a good education from BYU and just try to develop my golf career until I feel like I'm good enough to make the tour. To make the tour. Well, speaking of the tour, uh, another BYU alum, PGA player Zach Blair, upon you winning the good one, said, hey, it's just the first of many. What's it like to have the backing from a guy like that who is on tour right now? Um, you know, it's great. Zach's awesome, you know, because you can see what he's done. So, so he can tell you a bunch of things that – you know, you need to work on or things that things that can help you get on the tour because he's been through it all before. Tony Finau, I think, tweeted about you as well. He's a Utah guy. What's it like to have the support of kind of the local pro, Daniel Summerhays and everybody? Yeah, it's great. You know, I mean, they can help you get in a lot of tournaments when the time comes, and it's just awesome. It gives you a lot of gives you a lot of confidence to to have those guys back you up. I read on one of your bios you started playing golf when you were three. What is your first golf memory? 
Um, honestly, man, my first golf memory. I remember playing a playing a tournament, a playing a scramble when I was probably six years old. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my team ended up winning. You know, when, when I was six, it was crazy. You were contributing when you were six. I was contributing when I was six. Good grief, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, when, when you look at, uh, this team that you're on and you guys, uh, just won the ping Cougar classic, I believe uh-huh. awesome at Riverside. And then you host the West coast conference championships yeah. next week at Riverside open to the public, by the way, what was it like to win that? Uh, you know, win the good win a few weeks ago and now you're hosting this big time tournament. Things are going pretty well for you guys. Yeah. You know, the, the conference championships always a big deal. It's been a few years since we've won it. And since we're hosting it, you know, we really want to win it this year and have, have a lot of momentum going into regionals in a few weeks. Rhett Rasmussen, BYU men's golf freshman phenom with us in Studio B, winner of the good win at Stanford. And BYU, as we just mentioned, getting set to host the West Coast Conference Championships. It's a big deal. I don't think that BYU's hosted it in league before, right? No. Is this the first time? That first you, time. First time. That's cool. You were obviously super highly recruited by some of the top programs across the country, but you chose BYU. Why did you pick BYU? Um, You know, I just chose BYU because, you know, I've gotten to the point where I am in my golf career, you know, living in Utah. I didn't feel like I needed to go anywhere else. I didn't feel like any other school really had more to offer to me. So I just felt like I was comfortable here and I had everything I need. Uh, Can anyone, um, can any of the coaches hang with you guys? Are they still good? Oh, yeah. Tap, like, could they beat you? Oh, yeah. What's the dynamic? Oh, yeah. On any given day, they can beat us. Both our coaches, you know, almost. I think Todd Miller, our assistant, played on the tour for a few years. Yeah. yeah I, oh, I know they're good. Like, if, so if you played today, is it like a toss-up who's winning or are you guys? Um, gonna... I don't know if it's a toss-up, but it's definitely pretty close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because golf is an interesting sport where you can play it, you can play it a while, right? It's not mm-hmm. like, okay, like soccer, if you're like high 30s, you're like done playing at a high level but yeah. golf you can go now you can no, you can go, can, you can go into your 50s that's awesome yeah. yeah what's the recruiting pitch like from bruce brockbank and todd miller like hey if you beat me you can have a scholarship <laughs> <laughs> basically that would no. be amazing <laughs> what, what was it like when they recruited you what was the pitch like um you know they just said look at all the players we've put on tour you know byu has just about as many tour players as anyone mm-hmm. you know so you just figure that that's that's all you need the you know the proofs in the history and you know, that's what I thought. Okay, do you have to own white pants if, if you golf? Because Spencer has white pants, and he has a Two pair, tremendous... Two-pair, slim-fit golf special. Thank you for those details. Yep. A tremendous sense of fashion, right? Like, what role does fashion in golf play for you? Are you Ricky Fowler, or are you the other end? You know, man, I got to say, our team is terrible with fashion. We, <laughs> we, we wear black and navy way too many times together. Yeah. But, you know, I don't really do too much, but I definitely have a pair of white pants. And, and like, belts are important. Oh, yeah. Certain swag, certain uh-huh. companies, hat, oh, yeah. right? Always. Love Who's your favorite there. golfer on the PGA Tour right now? Uh, favorite golfer? Probably Rory McIlroy. Speaking of white pants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what did you think of the Masters, by the way? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was good. I, I always like it when a tournament comes right down to the end. It makes it makes it fun to watch. Give us an idea of that because you had that with the good one. You had to, you know, hold yeah. off a lead and everything. What's what's it like coming down the stretch with the lead, knowing okay, if I just kind of do my thing, I'm going to win here. Did you feel Sergio's pain? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's you know so many times coming down the stretch, you're like, man, I just need one more shot, and then I'd be good. But you know, it never ends up that way. It's always you got to make a putt on the last hole. So the nerves, the nerves are crazy. 
Great stuff from Rhett Rasmussen, freshman phenom for BYU men's golf. Uh, let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma for uh, your approaching tournaments. Yeah, West Coast Conference Championships next week. And we would also like you to sign our stretch wide flag. Uh, all of our guests that uh, come in and hang out with us do that. We always have champions of the Goodwin come in and sign this, <laughs> just so you know. So. <laughs> Rhett signing the flag right now. That, that dude's good. And we will, really good. we will bring on somebody else who is pretty good at their respective sport, Caitlin Larson-Aldridge of 20th-ranked BYU softball back in Studio B. She wants some of the karma as the Cougars look to continue a recent West Coast Conference win streak. Just swinging the bat, Will. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan still hanging out live in Studio B with more of your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play. Our daily rebroadcast airs weeknights on BYU TV at 6 p.m. Eastern. Very friendly for our East Coasters. Uh, yes. Yes. The, they're, they're 47% of the country, Spencer. Hey, uh, we're going to be at the Fan Fest in Vegas. Coming up, not this, but next week on Saturday from 3 to 5 Eastern Time in Lost Wages. I can't wait. Also friendly for our East Coasters. Yes. We listed for you. We can control these times with things like this. Our Twitter question today, what would you prefer as a kickoff time as a BYU football fan? At DeYoung1993 says, whatever time allows me to get home and watch the replay on BYU TV. There you go. That a baby. Priorities. And on demand. In Studio B now, our third guest of this show, Caitlin Larson Aldridge of BYU Softball, 20th ranked BYU Softball. Back for a second time. Caitlin, nice to have you back on the show. What's up? It's good to be back. Back this time with a new last name, uh, but (laughs) no hyphen. No hyphen (laughs) between Larson and Aldridge. What uh, went into that decision? I just kicked out my middle name. (laughs) Just used my my last name as my middle name. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Nothing too crazy. (laughs) Get out of here. Exactly. Um, This team is crushing it right now, and you had a great... A great game. I named you the uh, BYU Sports MVP, I think, mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Two home runs against Southern Utah. What was that like? Uh, fun. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you did that a lot awesome. in high school. You were a home run hitter in high yeah. school. Yeah. It feels good to be back. How's that? <laughs> yeah, because you had three home runs your first two years. Yeah. And as a home run hitter in high school, what's it been like to, okay, now you have seven this year. You're kind of back, right? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It's nice finally getting used to the D1 playing, I guess, you know, seeing the hitter or pitchers better now, so. So it, it 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 takes a little while. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, for some people, there's some people that come right out of the gate, but yeah. it's okay. I took my role as a uh, <laughs> base hit hitter for a couple of years. It's all right. Why do you feel like you and really this team in general has kind of turned a corner this year? I mean, BYU is always good at softball, mm-hmm. but now it's I mean, you're top twenty good. Why why the increase as a team? Um, our team has a lot of veterans on it this year, like. We have a lot of juniors and seniors playing, and we just like we have some key freshmen and sophomores too that have come in and helped a lot. We're just meshing really well this year. Our bats have come alive, and our pitching has obviously always been good. So it's just kind of all falling together this year. Let's talk about a question and topic that you've never been asked. Uh, your brother Biss. <laughs> First off, that name is great. Yeah. Um, where did that name come from? Biff. When he was little, he couldn't say Christopher. He called himself Bistopher. <laughs> <laughs> so, so his name is stuck. Christopher? His name's Christopher, but yeah, it's stuck. Like Bist? Yep. That's great. Yep. Uh, so he played baseball for that team up north. Yep. Um, you're at BYU. <laughs> What's yep. the family dynamic like? Did you grow up a Cougar fan? Did you switch uh, over? I switched over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every single person in my family went to the U. So I'm the oddball out. I switched over. So. Why did you switch over? 
because the softball here is the tradition of being great. So, and the facility, everything. It's just awesome here. When I came on visits and stuff, I just loved it. And so. notably, you beat then 11th ranked Utah this year. <laughs> yes, we did. And last year. And last year. <laughs> at their place. That was yep. a big game this year. You guys were barely outside the top 25, I think. Yeah. So it wasn't the first ever ranked matchup. But no. what was it like to play them when that's one of their best teams of all time? You know, it just makes it that much more fun. You know, rivalry games are always a big thing, but when both teams are actually on, like, nationally ranked or have been or will be, it just makes it, like, that much better because, you know, crazy things always happen in rivalry games, but just add that extra part onto it, and it's even more fun. Like, are the dugout – because you guys cheer a lot. Yeah. Like, as a team for your, yourselves, essentially. Is it a little louder, a little more malice? <laughs> yeah, it was. It always is. It's, like – there's just a little bit more on it. It's more than just a win. It's it's there's a little bit of pride to it too. So yeah, it's a little bit louder, a little bit more intense. And for the yeah, for the first time this season, you get bumped up into the cleanup spot at Southern Utah, and all you do is hit two home runs. <laughs> Paging Gordon Eakins. Yes, yes. Now is where do you prefer to bat in the lineup? Anywhere. I just prefer to bat. So put me in there, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> I just prefer to bat. Yeah, I don't care where. Okay, I, I think you've raised your batting average by 87 points, which, yes. which is incredible. What's changed for you this season? Um, I don't know. I just feel like right now I'm seeing the ball really well, really focusing a lot more, I feel like. I feel like I have a bigger role this year. I'm playing starting third, you know, like, and I don't know. I just want to keep my spot, so I feel like maybe I'm a little more focused, maybe. Hmm. You brought, up the, you brought up the great pitching that your team has, led yeah. by McKenna Bull, one mm-hmm. of the nation's best. Could you, hit a, could you hit a home run off of McKenna Bull? I've done it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, snap. Just in a blue and white in scrimmages. But but in high out. school when I played against her, no, I'd always butt. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I was safe, too. Wield <laughs> <laughs> this. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the best pitcher on the team, including the coaches? Well, if Meredith got to do his whole, like, crow hop pitching, it's impossible to hit. He's done it to a couple of us sometimes, and we just whiffed so hard. But, yeah, I don't know. Eakin's pretty easy to hit. Do you guys know Kevin Jensen, our our new assistant? He's pretty good, but we can all hit him, too. Mm. I'd say Meredith would be the one that we'd all just never touch if he threw it as hard as he could. (laughs) He's the guy. Caitlin Larson Aldridge of 28th-ranked BYU softball with us in Studio B. You're trying to keep things rolling against Pacific and West Coast Conference play. Uh, what would you say is the number one key to sweeping the Tigers this weekend on Friday and Saturday? Um, we just have to play our game. We have to keep our like level of play up above where we are capable of. We can't fall down at all and just be level, like lower level or anything. We just have to stay up and keep playing the ball that we know we're capable of. You've challenged yourself plenty this year, Georgia. <laughs> Utah, Texas A&M, UCLA, Auburn, Washington, <laughs> Oregon. Like, so there, there is some drop-off, obviously. Um, how do you do that? How do you keep the mental edge against teams that you're supposed to beat? Yeah, you know, it is hard. And, like, in the past we have slipped up and, like, lost a couple games in conference. But this year I think we're just, like, we know that we actually can compete at that high level now because we've done it more than once this year. So it might be a little bit easier for us to know that we're that high of a level so we can – just pass and get through these lower-level teams. So. All right, Caitlin, you've already signed the flag, but let's give you yeah. some BYU Sports Nation karma for the Perfect. Pacific Series. Runs again. <laughs> Wherever she's batting, you can watch her and the Cougars against Pacific, all three games on BYU TV, starting with a doubleheader tomorrow at 7 Eastern. Thanks, Caitlin. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. Caitlin. Coming up on BYU Sports Nation, when do you prefer BYU kickoff times? Because the NCAA apparently is going to hear from some people about changing it. 
Never going to happen. No, it's not going to get that high. TV dominates. Yeah. Also, the Cougar Whip Round is next. Game day for the Batcats. BYU Sports Nation is brought to you in part by DexterLaw.com for help when you need it most. Thanks to today's guest, Super Bowl champion and hey, Jeff. Baltimore Ravens coach Brian Billick, golfer Rhett Rasmussen, and Caitlin Larson-Aldridge for BYU's 20th-ranked softball team. Coming up tomorrow, All-American volleyball player Brendan Sander and women's volleyball team USA player Alohi Robbins-Harney. Let's hip it. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around Baseball. Cougars host Pepperdine at Miller Park tonight at 8 Eastern. The Cougars lead the West Coast Conference at 7-2. Watch and listen to the game on BYU TV and BYU Radio at 8 Eastern. Cougars in the minors. Brennan Lund had a hit, run, and a stolen base for the Angels' single-A affiliate Burlington Bees in a 9-1 win against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Mm. Cougars in the PGA. Daniel Summerhays and Zach Blair are in South Carolina, where the South will rise again. For the RBC Heritage Classic, Daniel Summerhays is even through three, and Zach Blair is one under through three. Back to you. Track and field. BYU at the Mount Sac Relays in Torrance and Walnut, California. Swimming and diving. Payne Sorensen and Nathan Rod- Rogers compete today at the 2017 Arena Pro Swim Series in Mesa, Arizona. Soccer. BYU's men's team has been selected to represent the United States in the World University Games in Taipei, Taiwan. How cool is that? The World University Games begin August 19th. That's amazing. That's amazing. Red, white, and blue for the they're Cougars of BYU. Wear, they're not wearing BYU. They're wearing Team, team USA. USA. That's, That's awesome. That's so cool. Yes. I want one of those jerseys already. Today's Rise Brandon, and Challenge brought to you by Dexter and Dexter Help. When you need it most, DexterLaw.com. Who deserves it, Jerem? Uh, Brian Billick. Cool to have him back. Um, hadn't met him. It was great to have him back here, kind of in the BYU fold. He's a BYU guy. It's great to have him here. Our Twitter question today, what is your optimal start time for a BYU football game and why? Hashtag BYUSN, our elite tweet of the day from at Nelvin Wilson 7 says, noon on a Saturday, I like to do my winning after breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. Not not after dinner. (laughs) Hey, the conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter. Use the hashtag BYUSN. At BYU Fanatics tweets in, I love tailgating several hours beforehand, so I love the later afternoon, early evening kick times. Five mountain time, 7 Eastern, would be optimal for me. Hey, Breezy. Yeah, yeah, what's up? Show on demand, BYUSN.com. Audio podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and the TuneIn app for Jerem. I am Spencer. Shout out to Ty Shippen. We're back to work tomorrow at noon Eastern, and don't forget to watch baseball tonight.